let's have some fun today. You ready? I'm ready. Ty, you ready? Aye, aye. Time out. Tyler, who are we taking a time out with today? Well, thank you, Kevin, and howdy doody to everybody. It's uh, We got Mike Faulkner, everybody, president and CEO of WeCo Manufacturing Group. Mike, thanks for taking a time out with Kevin and I on this beautiful afternoon. First question for you, Mike. What would you rather be doing than talking to me and Kevin at your office on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon? Oh, really? If I had anything to do, because I, I haven't gotten to do any of it this summer, just play golf. I think I've played oh, golf like three man. times this year. It's been a, j- jumping in and joining this company six months ago, it's been really, really busy. So. Yeah, it looks like you've been uh, holding on for dear life there. If we could get you out to the golf course, well, what uh, is your favorite course to play in Rochester? So the, the place I play most often, which is not the question you asked, but I play I play Ravenwood quite a bit because it's awesome. right next door to my house. But uh, really, if I was going to play any place, the place that I, I grew up playing when I first came to Rochester was Durand Eastman. Oh. I still love that course. You know, I got to get out there. I heard it's in great shape. I heard it's in amazing shape right now. They've uh, they got a new greenskeeper over there. That's one of the classics in Rochester. I, I feel the exact same. All right, so we're headed over to Durand Eastman. Uh, Tyler and I just picked you up some coffee, but we're picking you up over at WeCo. What music are you going to request? What's the first song you're going to request in the car? Oh, boy. Um, so I'm, I'm probably going to go uh, so, something to pump me up for golf. Let's go Seven Nation Army. Let's let's go a little white stripes there. You know, something <laughs> no to kind of like give me some good, get, get me ready to play. I want to name my firstborn Jack after Jack White. No kidding. There we go. Oh, he gets fired up right there, a little Detroit Rock City. Yeah, I think he's down in Nashville now. I know a little bit too much about Jack White, Mike. Um, so how about this? If you were could meet could meet anybody in the world, who would make you nervous to meet them? Who would make me nervous to meet them? Wow. Um, excited nervous excited nervous who would i really look forward excited nervous to meet them ah uh, boy that that's a hard one i don't get nervous really easy um because okay. I, I i don't have a lot of self-consciousness at all which you know <laughs> I, I think is kind of a good thing overall but uh it, you know i i actually think you know if you if you put it out let's 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 go with the uh let's go with president biden I, i'd be nervous to kind of meet him and pick his brain a little bit okay. <laughs> all right <laughs> <laughs> Mike, what's your favorite thing besides golf to do with your family? So mostly since my family has very different interests, the, the best thing that we, we do together is uh, we're just kind of hanging out together and not, not trying to do anything that's planned fun based, but just hanging out by the pool or, you know, get, getting out for a, for a walk. If I can, if I can get everybody out for a walk at the same time, that, that's difficult. Um, you know, my, I, I know you're a new dad, Kevin, but yeah. uh, as, as, as the kids get older, somehow or another, I became less and less cool. Yeah, that's older. what I'm nervous about. So like, I'm just, I'm, I'm infatuated with him right now because I know you, how you, I You've got about eight years where you're still All right, cool, good, good. You know? I'm making, I'm countdown is hot now. Because <laughs> there was that period of time where the parents are no longer cool and they can't wait to get away from you. And then it's like, oh, my dad, it's not cool that you uh, just dropped me off at school today. You know what? Just drop me off around the corner. I'll walk. No. Just make sure you have fun with that. I remember when my when my oldest, you know, I, I used to go skating with her. I used to make a skating rink in our backyard every winter, and we'd, we'd go skating together. And I taught her how to skate, and we were at a skating arena um, one time when she was probably about ten or twelve, and she's with her friends, and I'm off kind of in the background, and she's giving me the 
<laughs> and so I just went, I put my arm around her and said, she's my daughter. And they were playing some Lady Gaga song and I started singing it along. And so I, I, I made her pay for, for shunning me. And you get to do that too. That's, that's Yeah, fun. I can't wait for that. I mean, I, I was happy that I had the boy first, you know, boy, I, I was always fighting up a weight class for my sister, kind of trying to fight off the boys. But uh, having the boy out of the gate first is definitely uh, some, uh, some peace of mind. Ha- having the boy out of the gate will be, you know, that, that, that will make life a little, you know, easier and simpler in, in some phases and more difficult than others. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, this is awesome. I really appreciate you being on here. And I was going to ask you, Mike, if you could do anything and know that you weren't going to fail, what would that be? Oh, so again, Tyler, t- tough question, because I, I, I actually never think of failing. I, I actually don't believe I can fail. My, my approach is usually to, I see a problem, I attack the problem armed with the information that I have. If I don't get it solved on that try, I come back armed with new knowledge, attack it from a different angle, and I keep going until it's fixed. Um, but if, if there was anything that I could do that, that would be like, you know, somewhat dangerous, I guess, that I, I would love to skydive if I knew that there were, everything was going to work. I think that would be really cool to do. But I, I would Man. want to make sure everything worked there. That that could be failure. What I'm hearing, Ty, is he has no fear, is what I'm hearing, which is... Uh, I just wrote I'm, that I'm, down! I know. I'm, I'm, I'm all about it already, Mike. Mike's getting us excited here in the first 10 minutes of the show. Mike, you mentioned with armed with the right information, right? We talked about uh, being in leadership. We just all went through the pandemic together. We know that you are new to the CEO leadership role over there at WECO. Six months you've been in the role, um, kind of t- picking back up before this uh, second wave of the, the coronavirus is coming back. What are you, what information are you, how are you getting armed with that information? And I guess, how do you get that information freely um, from your team uh, there at WECO? So uh, it's a fantastic question, and it actually takes quite a while to cultivate that, Kevin. It's um, n- number one is I try to get as much perspective into the room as I can. So I try to bring people with diverse views in, hear from everybody. Um, I try to hold off whatever I'm thinking until last, because as the leader, naturally, people are like, oh, he's, he said that. I, I don't want to contradict him. I, I, wow. you know. And so you, you really have to make room for people to be able to bring in um their perspective. And by bringing in those different perspectives, the group as a whole starts to get a, a better picture of what the thing is. Cause we're all, we're all seeing a little different thing of it. You know, I, 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 I have this really corny exercise that I take with people where I'll put an object, you know, could be a coffee cup, anything, and I'll put it, put it down on the table and I'll say, okay, what, what do you see? What do you see? What do you see? And you know, somebody will say, well, it says we go manufacturing on the coffee cup. And I'm like, doesn't say that on my side. My side's blank. Um, more than one thing could be true, but you have to make the room to get all that information in. And then once you once you get those different perspectives in, work through it together to say, okay, what are the things that are critical to, to make a decision? And what are the things that we might not seem critical right now, we'll put them in the parking lot. And if it turns out that that was something we needed later, we can bring it back into the discussion. <laughs> So one of the one of the things is is as uh, one of the common themes that Tyler was talking about as we were getting to know you there is that um, 
it's creating this safe space, right? The ability for your team to even feel safe. And, and you touched on it that the leaders typically in the meetings I've been in and, and, and always are speaking first, right? Um, but the idea that then everybody else kind of shapes their opinion or molds their, what they're going to say around that is really, I mean, they're almost protecting uh, the CEO from, from really what they want to say. Um, same goes for a lot of the culture conversations, a lot of the organizations, you're, you're almost told our culture is great because that's what they know the CEO wants to hear. Um, how do you create that safe space where your team feels confident and comfortable that they can share their opinion? And it seems like that might be what is giving you a competitive edge in your leadership roles over the years. The, the, the first is demonstrating that I am 100% a Mark 1v1 human being and that I am fallible just like everybody else. And, you know, so, so you know, you, you, you can call it showing vulnerability, you can say being authentic, whatever, whatever words you want to use to describe it, but it's just, it's showing that I, I'm, I'm in this right there with them. Mm -hmm. um, the, the other thing is making sure that, that you, you don't, you don't ever come after somebody for, you know, a personality or, or anything like that, that it really is, you're creating that, that psychological safety, you know, just like you'd create physical safety out in the plant where people um, can bring ideas into the room and you don't berate them if it's a, uh, you know, you, you don't, don't start to knock down ideas. You just, just bring that, that thought into the room and let everybody absorb it. I love it. And that exercise with the coffee cup, it, I'm going to try that because that's, I always talk about viewing things from a different lens or perspective because um, until we're given new knowledge or new information, like you said, it's, it's my opinion, right? Or this is how I formulated right. it and, and, and know to be true. Ty, what do you got? What was the, yeah, thanks. This is Mike, uh, Kevin. What, Mike, what was the first thing you did at WECO to, like an example? Give us, can you give us, a, us an example of you walking into WECO and proving that you are human? Um, so the, the, the first thing I did, because everybody looked to me for answers because I was the new CEO. And I told <laughs> everybody who was here that, look, for the first 30 days, my job is to listen and observe. And that's all I'm going to do. And um, I'm, I'm going to immerse myself in everything that I, I can. But my goal is, is to just listen and observe for the first 30 days. And I'll, I'll start to share some things with you guys that I'm, I'm observing and have you fill in some details. But, but really, I, I don't want to jump to conclusions. I don't want to rush to judgment. I want to try to fully understand. You all have been at this much longer than I have. You're, you're much more well-versed in it than I so let me, let me try to learn from you. And I think by coming in with, with that sort of humility and not saying, okay, here's the playbook. Day one, we're doing this and we're doing this. But just coming in and really being open and listening, I, I, I think that, that goes a long ways towards people saying, all right, he's, he's kind of interested in what I want to, what, what I know, and um, also really seems to be in here with us. That's and, and it seems like you're willing to roll up their sleeves and they know that you're going to have their back. I mean, regardless, that's, that's funny. You said playbook, right? Cause I see a lot of uh, you think of the fortune 500 CEOs that probably go into these organizations. Now they probably have a blueprint that has been successful for them in other organizations, but now they're trying to force that playbook down the next business's throat. When you were evaluating, I guess, this role being a president and CEO now at WECO, when you were going through that interview process, did you get the sense that you were going to kind of be able to run it your way and, and the way that you wanted to? Absolutely. Absolutely. So my, my interviews here were great. I, I work for, you know, I don't know if he's going to listen to this or not, but my, 
My boss, Joe Cordozzi, is fantastic. He's the chairman of our board. Awesome. He's also an operator. So, I mean, you know, he, he and I have great conversations. He's a wonderful thought partner. You know, he's he's done what I've what I'm doing now and what I've done before. And, and so it's just great to have somebody to bounce those ideas off of. Um, but but really it was it was wonderful because he he created the room for me to say, hey, look, I I've seen things. I'm going to let you observe and figure it out for yourself. And when you want my help, pull me in. And wow. so him giving me the space to do it, it, even right up front in the interview, telling me that was just so incredibly helpful to say, yep, this is a place where I'm just not going to be putting in a cookie cutter type approach. Yeah. Dude, that's fantastic. I bet that felt pretty good to hear, Mike. And wait, what, uh, what previous job prepped you for this the most, you think? Uh, so it's, it's, it's really Tyler, it's, it's kind of like these, these, these all build on each other. So mm -hmm. when I was at Garlock, I was the president of Garlock and, and Garlock as an organization was much larger than we go. Um, the, the, the big difference there, you know, so Garlock was a little over $300 million. Uh, we, is in that 30 to $50 million range. We're, we're in the building rapid growth phase. Um, we, we are going to double our size this year though. So that, there that's you cool. are now exactly. you've only been there six months. Fun. I believe it's just, it. just, yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's, that, that's fun. But, you know, I, I think just being able to deal with a large complex organization like Garlock and, and bring things back down into, um, simpler pieces where I had to, you know, really empower people and trust them to go out and, and do the work. Cause I, I, I couldn't be everywhere in a $300 million organization. Hmm. I can't be everywhere in a $50 million organization either. So it's really taking those things, building up teams, analyzing where our gaps are, you know, here's my, my job. The way I see it is here's the vision of where we need to go. Here's why we need to get here, which, which is mm -hmm. like one of the most important things. And then, you know, really empowering people to figure out how, and then my job as a servant leader is really to come in and take obstacles out of their way when, when they run into them and they can't get up over them around them or through them. It's my job to come in and try to try to find a way to help them over them. So you're all about making sure that you're enabling their success so they can um, really provide the value that they can within their organization. A absolutely. They're, you know, I, I believe in giving the people who are closest to the, the problem the ability to solve it and giving <laughs> them the tools, the training and the opportunity to do that every single day. And, and I also find that it, it becomes like a flywheel for success because <laughs> the more that they're figuring out how to do this stuff, the more they're empowered the more they're capable of doing, the more the organization is capable, the faster we can go. And is that what you refer to as on your LinkedIn profile as talent development? Because that, that's, that's full scale, you know, I mean, you, that's, that's taking it from the first days that they're in your organization, ensuring that they're getting to retirement, but that is active talent management that I get to talk about in my day job. Is that how you see it as really identifying that's, these future opportunities? That, that, that's exactly as I see it. You know, I mean, there's, there's some parts of talent development that are the depending on the person's level where it's basic, hey, you need this skill or you need mm -hmm. that skill. But as you start to progress, you know, when you get to the point where you've got a manager of managers, if you will, you know, when you're kind of at that level of the organization and up, it's really giving them more and more bandwidth and giving mm -hmm. them more freedom to, to, to go out and do as they see fit. And also creating, again, it's creating the safe space. I, I've got this saying, hey, you're going to fall. Mm -hmm. Just fall forward. Okay, yeah. let's learn from it. Errors of aggression are great. Errors based on fear, not so good. Um, you don't learn a lot from, from falling on your behind, um, mm -hmm. but you do learn something when you fall forward. So, so just trying to get people to 
to, to take intelligent risk and make those decisions, learn from it and add to their toolbox. Wow. No, no doubt that the, your innovation over there is going to go through the roof when you create those environments as well. I think back to a story that they were talking about at the Global Leadership Summit and uh, Malcolm Gladwell was talking about Xerox, um, Xerox Park out in the San Francisco area, um, that innovation hub. And uh, the gentleman that uh, we all now know as uh, the, the founder of Apple um, went over to that park and saw that they had the mouse, they had the desktops, they had all of that stuff. And he simply went back to his organization and said, look, guys, I screwed up. This is the way, this is the direction that this, we're going to go. This is the direction we need to go to. Right. Such a fascinating story, but it seems like you're creating those environments now you mentioned the staircase. Uh, Tyler and I talk about that life journey, right? I, I talk about gaining intellectual and social capital at each stage within your life and uh, each experience. And, and I know you just shared that crooked mile journey. Who was a mentor that was fundamental in you, the way that you saw leadership and the way that you wanted to lead and now are leading there at WECO? Uh, so, so one of them would be um... The, the former CEO of Enpro, Steve McAdam, he, he was the one who really brought in the idea of a dual bottom line. And it, it, it opened up my eyes to what, what great untapped potential our people had. And then um, my boss at the time, Eric Valancourt, who's, who's now uh, the CEO of Enpro, um, he, he was also instrumental in, in helping me. And uh, he gave me access to probably the best thing I've ever had, which was executive coaching. I've been with my executive coach, Laura Hahn and, and Marie, Marie Lascavio. I've been with them for 11 years wow. and um, I didn't come out of the box like this. So you know, <laughs> I'm a work in progress. You know, I'm much better than I used to be. I'm, I'm not as good as I'm, I'm going to get, but, uh, but, you know, just, just having access to that has been incredibly helpful. And then I think the other thing is I, I, I enjoy mentoring. And I, I mentor people at different levels of the organization. And um, it, it, one of the rules that we came up with at Garlock when I was there is that I could no longer do skip level mentoring. So when I became the president of the company, I couldn't reach down in the organization. So I built a network outside the company. And now I actively mentor seven or eight people, but I learned tons yeah. from, from that reverse mentoring. You know, I just see just it being able way. to see it through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. Do you see that in the mentor mentee relationship and use of, I mean, the perception was it was only one way. I, I've it's, seen it so much more bi-directional. Is that what you found as well? It's it's definitely bi-directional. There was um there, there was there was a young lady that I was mentoring who I, I I've told the story a couple times to other people, but this one blows me away. Um, I was mentoring her, and here I am trying to invest in her development, help her, you know, establish some executive presence, and do all this kind of stuff, and. Um, she brought up this business problem we were having. We we're trying to do business in a place of the part of the world. We we're trying to, um, it was North Africa, but the, the banking system, it was it just wasn't mm -hmm. good. It was Nigeria, wasn't a place where you could do banking. No, couldn't write a letter of credit. And she was kind of aware of this tangentially because she knew kind of what was going on. And she said, have you ever thought of cryptocurrency? Mm. And I was like, huh? And then she goes into this thing for about the next 10 minutes about cryptocurrency and how it's already being deployed frequently within Africa and, you know, boom, 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 boom. In a gazillion years, guys, I, I wouldn't have <laughs> And um, while, while we didn't actually do that, we did explore it and offered it to the customer and the customer ultimately found a way to, to 
just do it in cash. But it was a viable option, such a viable option that we, we started to, you know, really dig into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I can, you mentioned that you're a mentor to many. Um, how do you, how do you help people deal with fear? I know you mentioned that a few different times. You, you know, you, you said to fail forward, but when someone comes up to you with the fear, what, what does Mike Faulkner tell them? What's, what's your advice for us? Um, so, so first off, I say, what are you afraid of? What, what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And are you willing to accept that as a potential outcome? Because once you've accepted what you perceive to be the worst thing that can happen, which usually, by the way, isn't that bad. Isn't that bad. <laughs> um, once you've accepted that, there's nothing to be afraid of, right? It's just like, okay, well, that's a potential outcome. Um, and and you, you get people comfortable with, with being uncomfortable, pushing into that unknown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had somebody wise once tell me that fear is an acronym for fantasy experienced as reality, because mo- most of what we're afraid of <laughs> isn't real, you know? Wow. So somebody got here, and, oh my gosh, I'm going to go on this podcast with, with Tyler and Kevin, and, and I could look dumb. Oh, I'm going to yeah. look like I am, you know? <laughs> I, I, I don't have fear of anybody else's judgment. I know who I am. I'm yeah, like, exactly. You know, we're here to have fun. Is. That's awesome. And then uh, Tyler and I talk about fear quite often because um, it's such an important concept, but it's it's the comfort zone conversation. And and I've learned so much about myself during the pandemic because we did this podcast. We started to not be afraid to share our opinions. And, and I think you learn each time and um, you continue to grow. One of the things that you mentioned, Mike, that I wanted to ask you about was the double bottom line. So for the audience that doesn't really understand what a double bottom line is and to hear a manufacturer, right? A manufacturer have a double bottom line, a CEO that's preaching that is extremely rare, I would say. Um, What is a double bottom line and what did you learn from that experience and how are you applying that over at WECO? Sure. No, it's a great question. I I, I didn't mean to throw in buzzwords, but it's it's a concept where you invest in your people, in your talent, in their development, and really look to unlock their, their full potential. Um, and by investing in your people and growing their capability, you're going to grow the company's capability, and that will allow you to achieve a superior financial return. And I experienced that um, over and over again. At Garlock, we, you know, for, for a 130 something year old manufacturing company, we did really, really, really well. Yeah. Um, and and we're, we're taking the same approach here at WECO. I've, I've always had the attitude of I'd rather have nine people who are outstanding and pay them mm-hmm. 10% above market than have 10 people who are kind of kind of average. And, mm-hmm. and I think really what separates great people from average people, great people want to invest in themselves. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I want to invest in the people that want to invest in themselves. People who want to bet on themselves, they're a good bet. And, and you start to build this great capability within the company because, like I said, you, you, you focus. Here's another thing I, I try to do, guys, not to jump around, but I focus on inputs, not outcomes. Mm-hmm. Uh, outcomes just, they're, they're just a, a, a point to tell me, am I on track or am I not? It's a mile marker. It's a byproduct product. Yeah. Okay. I, I focus on if I'm doing the right things for the right reasons at the right time, good things will happen. Um, and, and I detach from the outcome. And one of the one of the right things I've determined is investing in people and developing that that talent base. Unbelievable. And, and in your experience, Mike, how long has this double bottom line uh, buzzword been around for? 
So we brought it into uh, NPRO, I want to say probably around 2014, and, and we weren't the first. So it's probably been around for, for about a decade. And, and now there's companies that are actually touting a, a, a triple bottom line where they're putting in an environmental mm -hmm. um, statement oh. along with it, which, which I think is wonderful. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's one step at a time here. But we're, <laughs> we're yeah, it's a, it, no wonder you're going to be doubling your business uh, so quickly. And uh, a lot of business leaders, right? Um, I think sometimes they've been in the roles for quite some time and they have a bit of an ego about them. Um, the way that you approach yourself, it's Mike, you're very comfortable with yourself and, and, and you're, you have no fear, but you don't have the ego that creeps into these relationships and your opinions and your thoughts. How do you prevent it from leaking over? Boy, uh, a lot of coaching and a lot of work. <laughs> as I said, I, I didn't come out of the box this way. And it's actually funny because, because generally people go to their ego when they're afraid. You know, okay. People get into that ego reaction right. when... They either don't feel loved, they don't feel safe, or they don't feel good enough. Um, and, and, and all of that results in fear. Scared people make bad decisions. Mm -hmm. you know? um, scared money is always bad. Never spend any scared money. <laughs> so so I, I try to do everything to just sort of accept, hey, here's, you know, here's the worst possible outcome. I'm willing to accept that. We'll, you know, we'll be able to weather that. And then from, from an interpersonal standpoint or from, a, from a, you know, managing my ego standpoint, I, I always ask myself, you know, what, what is my intention? So if, I, if I'm going to say anything or if I'm going to bring anything into the room, what's my intention in saying this? What's my intention in bringing this thought in? Hmm. And if, if it's anything other than helping to advance our knowledge to solve the problem, okay, let's put some time between the flash and the bank. Don't, don't say that. Behave. Wow. <laughs> um, and then also just, just making sure that I'm meeting people where they are, that, you know, I, I can come to something really quickly. Um, somebody else might come to something faster than me, whatever it is, we, we all need to get there together. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's making the space and taking the time to make sure that everybody, everybody can get there and not, not bringing judgment into the room, just mm -hmm. remaining open. I, I have a little trick every time that I feel like I'm, I'm getting to a judgmental place. I just, you know, have the, the word in my head pop in open and, mm -hmm. and it, uh, it actually helps me make sure that I'm staying in an aware leading leadership standpoint, not a, not an ego driven wow. leadership. Standpoint. So powerful. Powerful. Yeah, powerful. Sounds like you got some awesome coaches over there, Mike. And I, I think uh, I'm going to give you some credit too, Mike. The, the, the ladies at Cognova are fantastic. They, um, you know, they, they, they had to do a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Took some spit, Shen. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to ask you, you know, Kevin's in the HR world, I'm in the IT world, we, we need, need a little manufacturing 101, Mike. What are the biggest challenges you see today in the, in the manufacturing industry? Oh, it's, it, it's, it's hiring folks, guys. It, that, that, that's really what it is. It, it's trying to find anybody. Um, and and you, can't, you can't drive around this, this part of the world without seeing help wanted signs all over the place. Um, you know, we, we probably have at least 20 positions open to hire right now. Um, you know, skilled trades. Uh, we're, we're, we're looking for, for an IT director. We're, so, I don't know, Tyler, if you, you got a day job or not. But, you might know, you know a guy. <laughs> but no, I, it's just, it, it really is. It's, it's finding people to, to come in and, and, and help us grow. Uh, and, and in the absence of being able to find people, we've been trying to bring in automation as kind of a force multiplier for the people we have. So I, I believe that automation doesn't replace people, it enables them. Mm -hmm. um, so, so bringing in, whether it's 
cobots, full robotics, we've done that. Um, we, we, we do a lot with uh, computer numerical control. We have a couple different lights out operations we can run. But, but really, even then, that just requires that you find a different skill set of people to oh, yeah. come in and be able to program and maintain that capability. Definitely. And I, I think the world of work is evolving. And I always say you're buying, renting, growing, or botting talent today. But um, I think a lot of organi- uh, businesses, right, they're, they're, there's just as many people looking for work as there are jobs right now. So there's a yeah. huge disconnect. And I think a lot of it's skills driven. Um, but a lot of people are fearful of coming back to the workplace. Um, just because they were, they, it really impacted them. They were, they were almost disposed of like trash and, and, and it's hard business decisions. When you have to make a tough business decision, right? Because you're, you're going to have to, and probably have, you talked about, again, gaining that knowledge and having all the information. Um, what is some of the top information that you like to review before making one of those huge business decisions? Like, how do you make sure that you're getting that collective view? So one of the things that I try to run it through the filter of, I'm a big believer in the balanced scorecard as you know, coming out of our strategy map. So I'm trying to make sure that whatever action we take, how am I optimizing that across, you know, you, know, you could put shareholders first. I actually put customers first. Hmm. Um, then, it, then it's my employees. Then it's my shareholders. Then it's the communities in which we operate. So I, I try to put it across that, that lens that. of four to say, how is this impacting each of those different stakeholder groups? And can we find something that gives the greatest benefit to the greatest number of people? Um, th- those, those are the kind of ways I, I evaluate the alternatives. Because there are no right or wrong answers. No, nobody gives you a passing or failing grade at the end of the day. You never know, you know, did, did I make the right decision? Did I make the best decision? Nobody ever tells you. Um, but, but if you're trying to keep it in front of you as to, here, here's the, here's the group of people I'm trying to take care of. How well did I do taking care of them? Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but well, Mike, I was looking at your rap sheet on uh, LinkedIn. And I saw like, the, you know, the words, uh, the letters, the numbers of 250M and stuff by your, by your experience. <laughs> and <laughs> woo, that just makes me nervous, man. Look at that, that gigantic number. And I'm about to interview this fella. Um, what, what's the coolest project you've ever worked on or been a part of? If, if, if that's a question for you, like, what's the coolest, like, so, so the, the, the most fun thing we've, I, I've ever done, we had a, an innovation project that was running, um, actually got this business as a turnaround. It was called Garlock Pipeline Technologies, GPT. They, they were working in the midstream oil and gas space. Um, and believe it or not, I'm an environmentalist. So working in oil and gas, I, I was an environmentalist working in the oil and gas business. Um, <laughs> But Thanks for it, that disclosure. Uh, well, I, 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 I'm a, you know, I'm a walking paradox. You know, it's, it's hard to figure. Out. Um, so, so we had this project. We, we we had come up with it. There was there was a problem that was going on with the world's proven oil and gas reserves. Um, to, to not get too technical, it, it had higher acid content. It was what they called sour sour crude and sour gas, and and this higher acid content would attack pipes. We were fighting corrosion. We were trying to keep all the bad stuff that was inside the pipe, inside the pipe. Mm-hmm. Our, our mission was to protect people and the environment from the process. Um, and it was attacking the existing product that we had that was a leading product. And we, we, we talked about it. We're like, you know, we got to reinvent ourselves. We, we got to take ourselves out because the product that we've got five years from now is not going to be a product that is going to work in these applications. 
Um, so we went out and we, we did this fantastic voice of customer with people where we asked them, what are the things that are impacting you? You know, help us, help us understand and then give us, you know, give, give us your, you know, multi-factor analysis of how much is solving this worth? How much is solving this worth? <laughs> and at the end of the day, guys, what was so exciting is our customers ended up designing the product for us. They, they told us, here's the parameters we need you to hit. And then we just went back to work and said, how do we go about doing this? Wow. And, and it was so cool to be able to take ourselves out. And then our first product out of the gate that we were all proud of, we launched, it was great. We started to get some failures in the field. Mm -hmm. And that was disappointing, but we pulled a full stop. We told our customers, hey, guys, something came up that, that nobody knew about. We were actually able to tell them something about their process they didn't know. Um, but we're going to work on it. We're going we're gonna to relaunch after we, we go back and look at this. And while a lot of people would have said, now nah, let's just, just keep oh, going. Yeah. I got to tell you, the credibility we built up with the customer base by just oh. saying, guys, thank you. We're not ready. Um, we're we're going to come back to you in a few months. The, the relaunch was um, just so well received, and it had um, to have been. I mean, just yeah, the, I, the, nobody likes to admit failure or mistakes, right? And 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 you see it in the auto industry, right? We, they push right. out these cars, and then they're like, ah, you know, it's okay if five thousand people die. It's all right. It's a, we can still push these out. We, we put that in the calculation. Yeah, yeah exactly. And I, I'm like, I don't want to be a part of that five thousand or, or making those tough business decisions. But again, it it takes that being bigger than the situation and understanding that that's going to build accountability. That's so important. Um, and, and, and the fun thing was too, the whole organization got involved in doing this. And actually oh, cool. the, the relaunch happened when I became president, somebody else took over the business for me that was working for me, but it was great to watch them just have the wind in their sails and keep going. Cause the whole company was focused on reinventing themselves. That's so cool. Oh my gosh. Mike, if you could write a book, what book would it be? And what would you title it? So um, if, if I could get anybody to pay $12.95 for a one-page book, I, I, I would write it. Um, not, not that I can't talk and go on. on that better but, be one meaty page for $12.99. <laughs> well, so, so I'll, I'll, I'll share with you guys. I came up with something a long time ago. I, I've had the good fortune or bad fortune of being involved in a, in a bunch of turnarounds. Um, and I discovered this, this four-step iterative process. So the fifth step is pull the lever, repeat again, of, of how to take a business out of turnaround. And oddly enough, it's the same way to make a business really get into this virtuous cycle where it spins up. And the first step is to get everybody to see the same reality. And so that's part of that perspective share we mm -hmm. talked about, right? Get everybody in the same room, get all the ideas together, make sure we're seeing all angles of this thing. Um, and oddly enough, that's the hardest thing because people have a hard time, you know, seeing that, that, you know, I, I can't see what you're seeing. How am I supposed to believe that? Well, you, you got to get that trust in the room. You got to get that cohesion and you got to get everybody to get that same perspective. That's why politics are so harsh. That's, that is why politics <laughs> are so, so get everybody to see the same reality is number one. Number two, identify your most valuable customers and your least valuable customers. And you can pick any different way you want to do it. I usually look at you know, how, how big are they? How profitable are they? Because if they're above average size and above average profitability, they probably buy into our value proposition. They dig what we do. Mm -hmm. And if they're smaller than average size and lower than average profitability, 
probably don't really, they're, they're doing business with us because they have to. Mm -hmm. um, step number three, and this might sound a little bit harsh, but I'm, I'm going to put it out there. Find ways to, to just provide the best possible service to your best customers mm -hmm. and systematically fire your worst customers. Mm -hmm. Because by firing your worst customers, you're going to create bandwidth that'll allow you to, to find and cultivate okay. those wow. relationships with your best customers who really dig what you do. And then step number four is you get the talent in place to, to run the standard work of servicing customers and firing your worst. Run that standard work today with that talent and continuously improve it tomorrow. And when you've done those four things, pull the crank again. What's my new reality? Who are my best customers? Who are my worst? What's my standard work to service them? Fire them. And then what's the talent gap that I have? And it does create this great upward trajectory. All on one page. All yeah. on one page. Twelve ninety nine. So, so. We're, Except for see, now, now you show. guys are so popular. This is going to go by. No, no yes, yes. Oh, you're going to have a few knocks on that. Door. Many times I keep hearing the words perspective, and uh, I've been doing a lot of reading on that. I'll send you one of my favorite books after this, Mike. Uh, it totally, the whole book's on perspective. And uh, okay, great. And, and just it just blows my mind just this one paragraph in it, and you'll 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 you'll, you'll see the title of it when I send it to you. But um, I was thinking, uh, Mike, who was, uh, I'm going to go a little different angle here. Who was the first person you called when you, when you found out you were the, C the new CEO over there at uh, Wico Manufacturing? My dad. Oh, Your dad. Yeah. Oh, dude, was, was he pumped? He was. He was. F funny story. My, my dad, so, so Wico is a, um, we, we have a pre precision machining component. We have a sheet metal fabrication component. My my dad growing up had a had a uh, a CNC machining shop. Oh my! And gosh, he he was cool. you know he wanted to pass it on, but of course at the time I was you know young and doing all kinds of very important things in the world, and I didn't want to take over his business, so I, I was out making my own way. So so this is one of the I've had this happen to me a few times, but this is the most recent time where. I, I get a second chance to do what the universe was offering me at one point in time that I turned out. <laughs> so, so I thought cool. it was really cool. And, and one of the things we're, we're doing some great investment here, Tyler. And I've already told my dad, I'm like, you got to come out and see some of the automated machinery oh. that we've got. We're, 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 we're buying some just fantastic, really cool stuff that he would get all geeked out about. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to get him on. Our that is so cool. How, That's special. How, what was your, what was the, one of the things that you're, we're talking about me being a new father, the bags under the eyes, uh, and then eight years that my countdown is eight years until the kid wants to get away from me. So thanks for that tip, Mike. Uh, but what was something that your father, your parents, let's say your mother and father taught you early on in your life that has helped to make you the man that you are today sitting before us? So, um, and it probably ties closely with the fall forward piece. You know, my, my dad used the Vince Lombardi quote of, hmm. you know, it's not whether you're going to get knocked down, it's whether you get back up. Mm -hmm. And the two of them were the people that taught me to get back up. Hmm. And that that's powerful. It's uh, it's made me resilient, which I think is one of the key characteristics for, you know, not, not just leadership, but just, just being able to get through life with a, a positive attitude. Yeah, or a catchy headline in 2020 and 2021 for all the resiliency stuff. <laughs> all, all, all the resilience. It became my most hated words, but uh, no, it's a, it's such vitally important because you never know what tomorrow is going to bring. Great. Now I put the most hated word on Kevin's Yeah, no, awesome. no, mine, mine. That was a personal one. But 
what, what you said was, is that you don't really, you're not fearful for tomorrow at all, Mike. And that's what I hear is because you trust your process, you trust your people, and you trust that you're going to create the environment that they're already going to solve the problems that, that tomorrow may bring or be ready to. So it doesn't, if, most people exactly are it. If, if we build tomorrow. the right capability, we, we can handle anything. And we also know what we can't do. That, yeah. That's the other part of it. You know, we don't make bad mistakes and take on work that's not, not something we're ready for. You know, we, we, we built this organization that, that is capable of making good decisions. Love it. And sometimes leaders um, I've found, especially in bigger organizations, right? Let's, let's take where you came from first. Um, in there, there's multiple levels, right? There's, there's people on the floor. They're working on the, uh, producing that tangible product. Um, then there's line managers, manager over the line managers and supervisors all the way up to, to you, right? Um, sometimes in that pyramid, if you will, that um, you have this um, distorted view of, of what life is and what a livable wage is. Um, what, are the, what is the customer experiencing? How can we improve these processes? How do you ensure that you're always getting out of that ivory tower, uh, figuratively speaking, and going out and developing these relationships, not only with the employees, but also the customers? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a great question. I, I, I try to, um, I rarely sit in my office. I, I do a lot of management. <laughs> and you're not golfing. Around. You're actually there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I am, you know, but I, I, I typically will. I, I manage by wandering around quite a bit. And I just, I, I just plug in where I can and talk to people and understand what's going on with them. Um, with customers, uh, I, I've, I made it a point when I first got here. I'm like, hey, I know that customers really aren't opening their doors to us. But if there is an opportunity to go visit customers, please pull me in. Wow. Um, cool. pull, pull, pull me in. If you have problems, you got somebody who's really mad at us because we're, we're late or we were bad or whatever it is, pull me in. I'll, you know, I, I want to be in there hearing about this firsthand. Um, so it, it's really making a conscious effort to, to get out and engage with whether it's people, whether it's customers, whether it's vendors, whether it's our board, um, whether, whether it's the community that we're in, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is, find ways to make sure that that I'm, I'm engaging with it and, and aware of it. It's so cool. Yeah, Mike, this is awesome. We really appreciate you being out here. I'm, I'm, I love your smile, man. I love your energy. And I was going to ask you, what's, I know you're new over there, um, new as in six months new as a CEO, but what is, uh, what's one thing your employees don't know about you? Uh, they, they probably, not many people know that my, my, one of my early jobs was I used to sell snowmaking equipment. So 15 years, I was in the, I was in the operation side of the ski business, which sounds a lot more glamorous than it is, but I did get to ski a lot for free and used to travel in the summertime with my mountain bike, my golf clubs and my scuba gear. So that wasn't all bad either. And that uh, is fascinating. How is that snowman made? I got to know how, how, how the hell they turn out that. Typically, high, high, so high pressure water, uh, high pressure air, or high pressure water coupled with a, a big three phase electric fan. It, wow. And usually, we stick them high up in the air, and uh, you know, we, we it was it was a really fun job. It was it was kind of like a Peter Pan job. Once I got to a certain age, I was like, you know, I probably have to go grow up now. But for a while, it was fun. What's your favorite place you ever uh, took a vacation? So the, the favorite place I ever took a vacation was Grand Cayman. Um, and I got to be careful that my wife doesn't see this because she wasn't on the trip, but I, I went. I, oh, <laughs> I, boy, I, we'll cut that part out. Don't cut, cut that part out. Edit that out. <laughs> I, 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 I went on a dive trip and um, 
it was one of those just 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 the entire week was one of those things where we had perfect weather and beautiful conditions and uh just got to see some things that no you know i, I would i would tell myself over and over again here i am i'm 40 feet underwater and i'm watching this you know eight foot wingspan spotted eagle ray snuffling up and attacking a crab it's like watching wild kingdom and no human being was ever meant to see wow, this that's so, um, cool. so so it's just it's one of those you know, pinch me. This is just a wonder, and I'm grateful I'm getting to see it. Type moments. One, hmm. Ty, go ahead. Oh, Mike, I was just going to ask you, what do you think about Kevin and me? Just uh, off the bat here, what, I, what I think what you guys thoughts? are doing is so. So I, here's here's what I love. You guys bring great energy to it, and I love that you're doing what you what you wanted to do. You, you're you're following a path. You're saying, hey, this this seems like a good idea. There's nothing holding us back. Let's 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 go to it. And I also, so, so Tyler, this, this is, this is funny. I think it's great that you're doing it from the car. That, <laughs> and, and I'm saying that from the standpoint of, Hey, here's, here's somebody who, you know, can figure it out and overcome obstacles, right? There's, there's nothing holding you back from being able to do it. You just happen to be mobile at this moment. Okay. So <laughs> at the moment. He's doing this from a farm field before. Tyler's always on the run. I'm, I'm holding hey, the baby. So i <laughs> Mike, what is what do you want your legacy to be? We talk about legacy, and um, we on one of our other guests that we were talking about, we we fight our first years of of finding legitimacy, um, and then there's a point in time, and and you're probably maybe not at that phase yet, where you're you're thinking about well, what is my legacy going to be? What do you want Mike's legacy to be? Um, I guess at the end of the day. I really want want to have people remember me for um, for walking the talk and mm. modeling the way on, on being an aware leader, on, on deeply listening, on you know making those connections, on suspending judgment, and, and embracing the unknown. And if uh, it, it was funny because when I left Garlock, <laughs> it was it was it was gratifying. Here, here was a little ego moment for me. I had so many people call me up and tell me you know, how I'd impacted their lives. Oh and um, it was almost like being at my own funeral, you know, <laughs> you know. But, but in a good way. Yeah. Um, but, but you don't realize what an impact you have um, on people. And so mm. just having that as a little affirmation to say, okay, keep going. You're on the right path because you're obviously making a difference for people. I love that. And that's probably been more gratifying than running a $3 million business. Way, way, way more gratifying. Yeah. At the, at the end of the day, running, running a business only, only helps me spread, you know, my ideas and my leadership vision a little bit more and, you know, trying try to make sure everybody is, is taken care of. Our, our noble goal here at WECO is we're, we're trying to enable um, domestic manufacturing and, and really invigorate the, the upstate New York economy through manufacturing. And that, that's, that's what we're all focused on working on. How do we, how do we make a difference in our communities? Any know? future in um, politics? I mean, you're just talking to none. Western New York right no, now. No, none. Zero. <laughs> no. Head ass, head ass. No. <laughs> your, your voice is kind of Obama-esque as well. You have that profound uh, touch there on uh, your word selection. But um, all right. So as we finish up on this goofy show with you today, Mike, uh, we received your application to come work for Tyler and I at Time Out with Leaders. Oh, awesome. Great. Yeah. So thank you for that. Um, you're, you should have been a doctor. Your handwriting, you should have been a doctor. But... <laughs> We have some questions that we wanted to ask you is now that we want to see if you want to become a part of our team here. 
Tyler, what's your first interview question for Mr. Mike? Well, Mike, thanks for your application, like Kevin said, you know, uh, to come work at Timeout with Leaders. Um, Mike, if you could nominate another local leader around town, who do you look up to and who would it be? So there's a, uh, there, there's, there's a friend of mine who has his own consulting business. And actually, he, he's, he's, he's only going to be here for six months out of the year now. He's, he's, he's moving someplace else for, for a know, successful a during consulting the inclement time. He's, he's smart. <laughs> um, his name's Charles Pfeffer. He's, he's a fantastic, he's a great thought partner to me. He, he does executive coaching. He's, he's not my coach, but he and I play golf from time to time. And he's just one of those people who... Um, is really, I'm grateful to have the, have him in my life because there's lots of times where I just, I got something I got to work out and he's a phone call that I can make and he, he brings a lot of great perspective to it. To use that word perspective again, Tyler. <laughs> Love yeah, that. you're getting the book after this, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I'm going to skip my interview question uh, because uh, we already want to hire you, Mike. So I'm going to skip mine. Oh, great. But I have a question for you. My question for you is, because um, we always want our audience to maybe have a key takeaway. You mentioned thought partners, right? Multiple times throughout this interview. How do you identify them, those thought, thought partners? Because I love the way that you put that. Um, it's, it, it's really, you know, almost making almost a contractual obligation out of it and saying, hey, um, I would love to be able to bounce ideas off of you from time to time and not make this fuzzy agreement like, hey, I'd love to call you something. It's like, you know, every once in a while when I get stumped, I would love somebody to talk to. I'd love to bring you into my circle. I'd love you to have you, have you talk to me about this. And I'm going to make myself available to you to do the same thing. Are you willing to do this with me? That's so um, cool. And, and, and the other flip side of that is, so, so those are usually thought partners outside the workplace, or it could be inside the workplace. But with my team, I also ask for people to be accountability partners to me. Hmm. So I tell them, hey, here's the things that I'm working on. Um, when you see behaviors that don't align with what I'm working on, could you tell me? Yeah. Um, and, and so having those, those two resources just helps you continually get better. Love that. Cause we all, we always have heard, uh, the saying like, uh, you are, you are the company that you keep, right. Uh, at the end of the day, if, if you got three idiots, you're going to make the seventh idiot. If you're the seventh one in the group. So that is, uh, that is awesome. I know I've learned an absolute ton from you. Uh, Tyler and I always joke after these shows when we call each other, how many pages of notes that we get from you guys. Um, one of the, one of the things that I loved is just the thought partner, the discussion about the dual bottom line, um, just the fact that you have really seen leadership and how you can actually serve as a leader, right? We, we say servant leadership, but it's a different thing to say it and, and then actually act on it. Um, and, but it also sounds from you that it's a constant evolution of leadership in your own role. You're never there. You've never made it. You're constantly nope. learning and evolving. No, so the, the farther you go along the path, the more you realize how much farther you have to go. That's and, and I know Tyler and I, we always say this, you're one of those leaders we would run through a brick wall for. I, I have no doubt about it. But uh, thank, you. thank you so much for being a guest on our show and sharing your wisdom with us. Hey, I, I appreciate you guys having me on. It's been great to meet you guys. Pleasure. I can't wait to Likewise. grab that beer and talk more about this servant leadership in action. Done. Give me, give me a nice cold IPA, all right? Thanks.